Well, good evening, Hope Bible Church, Ottawa. Pastor Ray here, love you so much. Been praying for you. We're praying for you right now as you gather in Jesus' name, praying for fervent and expectant hearts. Been praying that for you all summer, that you would not lose the fervency to press in to know the Lord. Amen. We don't let our faith take a vacation over the summer months. And so we're praying for you now as you lift up the name of Jesus in song and call on his name in prayer. And now, 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 get ready to come under the authority of his word. I pray with meekness and humility and teachability and expectancy. Praise the Lord. And right now I have a great privilege to introduce to you our guest preacher this evening. It's his first time, him and his family's first time here with us at Hope Ottawa. His name is Kevin Weeks. And Kevin is a senior pastor and church planting pastor of Mission City Church in Brantford, Ontario. And so we're so thankful that he and his wife, Stacy, and their kids love you guys so much. Love you, Weeks family. Been praying for you. And we're so thankful you made the trip to come and be with us. And so Hope Ottawa, would you keep uh, Pastor Kevin and Stacy and their family and Mission City Church in prayer in these days, that they would continue to be fervent for the gospel, united in the gospel, and see the kingdom of God advance in Brantford, Ontario, and beyond. Amen. All right, let's put our hands together and give Pastor Kevin a warm Hope Ottawa welcome. Amen. Hey, would you pray with me? Father, just as we've been um, singing these songs and this last song especially, I'm just reminded of what you say in your word in 1 Chronicles 16. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice and let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. And so God, we come to you tonight in that spirit of worship, in that spirit of recognizing, again, with humility as we've just prayed, that you are the Lord who reigns above all, that you are the one and only God who is worthy to be worshipped, that you are the one and only God who is worthy to listen to. And so even now, Father in heaven, I pray, would you still our hearts, still our restless hearts, I pray, O oh God, with all the distractions and all the things going on around us and, and commitments that we have coming up and this and that and the other stuff, Lord, I just pray in this moment, would you grant us the gift of rest in Christ? And Lord, would you speak to us? Holy Spirit, would you be our teacher tonight? Would you sweep across this room? And uh, Lord, you have um, you have told us that each time your word is opened, each time your word goes forth, that it has a purpose and it will accomplish the purpose for which you send it. And so, Lord, we come together tonight. I stand up here tonight believing that you have a purpose for your word. And we trust in Jesus' name that that purpose will be accomplished. So, Lord, um, have your way, as we've already prayed, have your way here among us tonight. For the glory and the honor of your name, I pray that you would lead us now. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, 
our rock and our redeemer. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, good evening. So good to be here with you. Do I need to take another run at that? Good evening. All right, that's great, it's great. So good to be here with you. Why don't you grab your Bible and open up to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. Mark, chapter 4. And if you're here tonight, you need a Bible. We've got some people that are are just walking down the aisles. Just slip up your hand, and they would love to give you a Bible. And uh, that is the gift of Hope Church to you. And uh, we would love it if you would take that Bible home and read it and let your life be changed by it. All you got to do is just slip up your hand, and, uh, and they'll make sure that you get one. Mark chapter 4, and uh, just as you're finding your way to Mark 4, let me say how great it is for, uh, for me and our family to be here tonight. Um, we have uh, so appreciated the warm welcome that you have given to us, and it is uh, so good for us to come and just to see with our own eyes the work that God is doing here at Hope Bible Church in Ottawa. So thankful uh, to Pastor Ray and to your elders for the invitation to come and open God's Word. Also excited to get into Mark 4. So let's find our way there right now. I'm going to read verses 35 to 41. It's right at the end of the chapter, and I'd encourage you to follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 35. This is the Word of the Lord. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? All right, quick show of hands here. How many people are somewhat familiar with this uh, miracle that Jesus performs of calming the seed? Just quick show of hands. Yeah, a lot of us are, right? You've read the story. You've heard the story. Maybe the first time you learned the story was in Sunday school class with that sweet flannel graph Jesus bobbing up and down in the water, right? You remember that. And, and this is one of the more popular miracles that Jesus performed, I think, for obvious reasons. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but for the small amount of space that Mark gives to this miracle in chapter 4, there's a ton of detail that's packed into it. Take a look again with me at verse 35. Mark says, on that day when evening had come. So there's the first thing. You need to understand that everything that has happened in chapter 4 up to this point has happened on the same day. So this has been a long day for Jesus. He's been teaching the crowds. He's been teaching the disciples. He's teaching them uh, the parable of the sower and the seeds and, and how different uh, seeds fall on different kinds of soil. And then he teaches them about not putting the lamp under a basket, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Right? Someone should write a song about that. And classic Sunday school story there. And he teaches about how the seed Seeds grow and how uh, the mustard seed grows and, and the smallest of seeds can become even the greatest of plants and, and another classic Sunday school story in that one. And it's just been a long and intense day of teaching from verse 36. He says, they left the crowd and they took him, interesting detail here in verse 36, they took him just as he was. So again, keep in mind, it's been the end of a long day. No doubt Jesus is tired, 
by the end of the day, right? So maybe you can picture in your mind's eye, by this point in, in the day, Jesus just kind of lumbers into the boat, okay? And he's like, he's just getting into the boat. He wants to find a quiet place just to rest and relax. And, and he's just walking in. And uh, this is where we see in Mark's gospel, the spent humanity of Jesus. And uh, I don't know about you, but I find that kind of encouraging, Uh, to know that at the end of a long, hard day, Jesus was exhausted because at the end of a long, hard day that I go through, I can know that he knows exactly how I feel. Don't you find that encouraging? I don't know what stage of life you're at right now, but uh, Stacy and I are at that stage of life where we have three teenagers in our house, and I love this stage of life. It's great. It's a lot of fun, but it is also completely exhausting. Um, Like, I am totally exhausted on most days that end in why. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm tired right now, but we're going to keep going, okay? We're going to keep going. Verse 37. Verse 37, Mark says, A great windstorm arose. Waves are pounding into the boat. The boat was filling up with water. And then verse 38, But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. So Jesus is in the stern of the boat. So for all of you who get kind of seasick, the stern is the back of the boat, okay? And Mark is saying Jesus now is in the back of the boat, fast asleep, head down on a cushion, totally oblivious to the storm that is going on around them. Now, the question that we need to ask at this point is why do all of those details matter? Why does it matter that Mark puts those details here in this section in chapter 4? And here's one reason why I think the details matter. They matter because it tells us that this is not just another great story about another great guy who did another great thing. All these details matter because this tells us that this is a real story about a real savior who has real power over real storms. That's what this is about. But here's the thing. When the disciples get into the boat at the beginning of this passage, everything is fine, right? Like everything's going fine. Like they've had a long day. It's been a bit of an exhausting day, but I mean, the sun's out. There's a breeze in the air. Everything's good. And then they get out into the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and all of a sudden, this storm just comes out of nowhere, right? And they had no chance to get ready. They had no opportunity to put a plan in place that would help them to weather the storm. All they know at this point is that they are in the middle of the storm and all that they have to hold on to is the little bit that's right in front of them. And in this case, it was a little fishing boat. It wasn't very much. And you and I know what that's like too, right? We know what it's like to go through storms in our life too, right? Where one day everything's going fine. Everything's going the way that it should. Everything's panning out the way that we expected. The sun is out. There's a breeze in the air. It's going just the way we want. But then all of a sudden, a storm comes out of nowhere. All of a sudden, you get the phone call. All of a sudden, the relationship falls apart. All of a sudden, you get the diagnosis. All of a sudden, the bank account is empty. All of a sudden, something happens, and you're right in the middle of a storm, and you had no chance to prepare. You had no opportunity to put a plan in place to help weather the storm. All you know right now is that you're in the storm, and all you have to hang on to is that little bit that's right in front of you, and it doesn't feel like very much. And the lesson that the disciples learned on the boat in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee is the same lesson that you and I need to learn again today. I can have faith in the face of fear. I can have faith in the face of fear. That's kind of the big idea that we're going after tonight. I can have faith in the face of fear. But here's the million-dollar question, right? How do you do that? Like, how do you have faith in the face of fear? How do you have faith when the cancer is too painful? 
How do you have faith when the depression is too deep? How do you have faith when the miscarriage is too much? How do you have faith when everything seems to be crashing down upon you, when the waves are pounding against your boat? How do you have faith when you're afraid of the circumstance that you're in? What I want to do um, for the few minutes that we have together tonight is uh, I want to take you through this passage verse by verse, just like Pastor Ray does every week with you guys. I want to take you through this passage, and I want to throw you three life jackets for the storm. Three life jackets, okay, um, that you can hang on to, that you can know are absolutely dependable when you go through a storm in your life. Here's the first one. You can jot this down if you're taking notes. Uh, take Jesus at his word. Take Jesus at his word. That's life jacket number one. When you're in the middle of a storm that's raging and you don't know when it's going to stop and you don't know what's going on around you, take Jesus at his word. And uh, some of you might be sitting here right now. You're thinking to yourself, okay, but what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, take a look with me again at verse 35. Mark says, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. You know, what's interesting about this story is that it wasn't the disciples who went to Jesus and said, okay, Jesus, it's been the end of a long day. It's been the end of an intense day. You've been teaching a lot. Why don't we just pack it up here? We'll get in the boat. We'll go to the other side. We'll get something to eat. We'll get some rest and refreshment. Then we'll come back tomorrow, and we'll do it all again. That's not the way it happened. Instead, it was Jesus who goes to the disciples and says, okay, guys, we're done here for now. Let's get into the boat, and we're going to go on to the other side. Now, true or false, Jesus knew the storm was coming when they got in the boat. True or false? It's true, right? He knew exactly that the storm was coming. And the most amazing part of this story, I think, is that Jesus purposely puts himself in the boat with them, even though he knows the storm is coming. Jesus is in the boat with them, and the same is true for us. Listen, friends, Jesus knows what's coming in your life. He knows what's going on in your life even right now. Jesus knows what the past two years have been like for you as a church collectively, right? And he knows what the past two years have been like for you individually within your life. Jesus knows what you're going through in your life even right now. And listen to me, he has put himself in your boat. He's there with you as you go through that. So that means that no matter how long the storm goes and no matter how rough the storm gets, if Jesus says we're going to the other side, you can bank on it, man. We are going to the other side. Okay, you can take Jesus at his word. I have a, a list of um, top five like promises from God's word that I kind of lean into when I go through storms in my own life, when things get a little bit rocky, didn't, don't really know what to do or where to go or how to, how to do it, but um, top five promises that I kind of press into in those times. Maybe you have your own list of promises that you kind of lean into uh, in your life as well, and uh, my top five here I think are up on the screen, and I just want to walk you through this. So uh, I surveyed absolutely no people. Top five answers are up on the board, and uh, here they are. Uh, promise number one, Isaiah 40, verses 29 to 31, God promises me strength to walk. I love that, man. He, this is the passage in Isaiah where God says that he gives power to the faint and he increases the strength of the weak. I can know that when I go through a storm that God's going to give me strength to keep going. Promise number two, Philippians 4, verse 19, uh, says that God will supply my every need. Do you, notice, um, do you notice that that verse does not say that God's going to give me everything I want? Okay, God doesn't promise to give us everything we want. Instead, God promises to give us everything that we need, and he knows exactly what we need because he's in the boat with us. 
Here's promise number three, 1 Chronicles 16, verse 34. Uh, God promises me his unfailing love. Listen, God promises. Listen, if you're saved in Jesus Christ, God promises you his unfailing love no matter what. That's awesome. That's good news. Here's another one, uh, Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. This may be my all-time favorite. Uh, God says that when I trust in him, God will give me a peace that passes all understanding. I love this passage. I've come back to this passage so much over the past couple of years. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know if, if you notice that when you read those verses, but there's a great exchange that takes place when you're in the middle of your storm. God says, if If you will give me the stuff in your life that's making you anxious, if you will give me the stuff in your life that's making you afraid and making you worried, God says, in exchange, I will give you my peace. And he says, it's his peace that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. It is his peace that surpasses all understanding. Now, what does that mean? His peace that surpasses all understanding. That means when you're going through something in your life and and by worldly standards, you should be curled up in a corner sucking your thumb like it's that bad, that in those moments, God gives you a peace. He washes his peace over you so that when you try and explain to your family, to your friends, to your neighbors, your coworkers, whomever, about why you can have peace when you're going through a storm, the only thing you can say is, I don't know how to explain it. God has done it. That's his peace that surpasses all understanding. God promises to give you that if you will give him the circumstance that's making you anxious. Here's one more, 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7. God says, I can cast all my cares upon him because he cares for me. And he cares for you. Listen, friends, these things are always true. And here's the point. Here's the bottom line of all of this. You can't let the voice of the storm become louder than the voice of the Lord. Okay? God speaks to us in his word by the power of his spirit. And you can't let the voice of the storm become louder than the voice of the Lord. Contrary to what some people might believe, Jesus does not always divert us around the storms in our life. He doesn't always supernaturally rescue us from those storms, although sometimes he does, thankfully. But most times, he walks with us through them. He takes us through those storms. And and why does he do that? I think one of the reasons he does that is because the storm has the way of teaching us the power of his promise. The storm has a way of teaching us the power of his promise, the power of a promise that we would not otherwise learn had we not gone through the storm. Look, if Jesus says we're going to the other side, then you can bank on it. And we are going to the other side. And he has given us an entire book full of promises to assure that we get there with him. And you can take him at his word on every single one. Three life jackets for the storm. That's number one. Take Jesus at his word. Here's number two. Again, you can jot this down. Uh, Get to Jesus early. Get to Jesus early. Now, um, all in favor of honesty in church? Hands up. It's a good thing, right? Honesty in church, I think that's a good place to start. Um, How many of us would say that in the middle of your storms, you wish that you would have made your way to Jesus a lot sooner than you did? 
Okay, yeah, me too, me too. Like, I'll put both hands up on that one. There's a lot of times where I wish I would have gone to Jesus a lot sooner. And, and you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, you get into something, something goes wrong, it doesn't go the way that you expected, maybe it's really big, and you try and fix it yourself, but it doesn't seem to matter what you do or how hard you do it or how hard you try, it just seems to get worse, right? And that's kind of where the disciples are right now. Look again at verse 37 and, and just notice this progression of how things keep getting worse. Verse 37, and a great windstorm arose. So there's nothing the disciples can do about that, right? That's problem number one. Um, this was supposed to be a simple trip across the lake. Now, um, the disciples knew the Sea of Galilee like the back of their hand. Okay, it'd be very similar to uh, like you and I uh, taking the same route to work every day or we take the same route to church every weekend and, and we know where to go, we know where to turn, we know where to avoid, we know how long it's going to take and, and that was this. The disciples knew this, this body of water like it was the back of their hand. It was supposed to be a simple trip but then the storm just comes out of nowhere and then verse 37 again. It says, and the waves were breaking into the boat. So there's problem number two. This is no longer just a few gusts of wind, okay? It's become so bad that the water now is splashing over the edges of the boat. Try and put yourself in that boat. Like, just try and imagine the fear. Try and imagine the worry. Like, their life is kind of bobbing up and down in the balance right now. Verse 37 at the end, it says, so that the boat was already filling. Do you see the progression there? Like it, it starts with something that you think you can handle, but before long, it's totally sweeping you away until you get to a point where you're like, how did I get here? Right? It's like, it's like you, you stop and, and it's like I blinked and everything changed. Right? You know what that's like? You know what it's like to be in that situation? And then verse 38, Mark says, but he was in the stern. Jesus was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Every time I, I come to this story and, and I get to this point in the story and I read that question, I'm never really sure whether I should laugh or cry. It's kind of a curious question, isn't it? Like, teacher, don't you care that we're about to die? Like, they've basically come to the point right now where the voice of the storm has become louder than the voice of the Lord. And when that happens to you and me, we can sometimes think that if God is not caring for me in the way that I think he needs to in the middle of my storm, then that must mean that God doesn't love me, right? That if God's not giving me what I want, what I think I need in the middle of my storm, then that must mean that God doesn't love me. And listen to me, friends, listen so carefully. That is not true. And that will never be true. That is a lie that the enemy would love for you to believe. Listen, God will always love you. And God will always care for you, no matter what, even when you're struggling through the storm. And it feels like Jesus is so far away, like he's so detached from your situation, almost like he's sleeping in the back of the boat. And it seems like he doesn't really care about what you're going through. Even then, even when you feel like that, listen, God loves you and God cares for you. See, part of what we're being challenged to consider here is who we really believe that Jesus is when life is hard. Do you believe that Jesus can get you through what you're going through? 
Or do you believe that Jesus is no more than just that guy in the back of the boat who's asleep on the cushion and he doesn't really care? See, the reason that Jesus came into the world to die on the cross, the reason that Jesus would go to the cross, the reason that Jesus got into the boat with the disciples is because he loved those guys more than they would ever be able to understand. And the reason that Jesus calls out to you and to me and says, come to me, follow me, trust in me, rest in me, the reason that Jesus went through the worst of storms and suffered the wrath of God for our sins in our place, the reason that Jesus fully forgives you of every sin in your life, past, present, and future, the reason that Jesus walks with you every single step of the way, and the reason that he always will is because he loves you. And he loves you more than you will ever be able to understand. He cares for you and he always will. Listen, who's that for today? Like who walked into this room tonight and you're sitting here right now, you're listening to this and it's like you've been living your life. You've, you've got this overwhelming burden in your life and you keep carrying it around with you because you don't have any assurance that Jesus loves you or that he cares about what you're going through. And you're like, I just don't know. Listen, listen, Jesus loves you and he cares for you so much. Don't take my word for it. Listen to what Jesus said. Gospel of John, he says, greater love has no man than this that he would lay down his life for his friends. Romans 5 verse 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I will never cast out. Listen, friends, this is your Savior This is your savior and he's calling out to you and to me right now, right here with so much love, so much compassion, so much mercy and so much grace. And he wants you to cast aside all the so-called solutions that, that try and get you through your storm. He wants you to cast aside your pride. Listen, he wants, to cast, he wants you to cast aside your unbelief. He wants you to cast aside the arrogance in your heart that thinks you can get through this on your own. You can figure this out by yourself. He wants you to cast aside the so-called wisdom, the so-called ability, the so-called strength that you think you have, and he wants you to trust in him. This is his invitation to you right here, right now. Trust in Jesus. Listen, I wonder, how many of us have actually stopped long enough to consider how many of the storms that we go through are actually of our own making? Because we won't let go of the stubbornness. We won't let go of the pride. We won't let go of the fear or the unbelief because we have become so resolute in stopping the storm ourselves that we don't even see that we're capsizing our own boat. And Jesus says right here, he says, no, man, no, no, no. There's a better way. There's a much better way. Jesus says, come to me. Trust in me. Rest in me. Hope in me. Listen. We gotta get to Jesus early. I would even say we gotta get to Jesus often. Three life jackets for the storm. Take Jesus at his word. Get to Jesus early. Here's uh, number three. Third life jacket for the storm. Fear Jesus for who he is. Take a look at verse 39. Mark says, and he awoke, Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and sea and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. You know, it's interesting. The disciples saw something happen that day that would never be repeated. 
Jesus says peace. Um, it's the same word as silence. And, and the, the idea behind it, the picture behind it, is that it's, um, it's, it's muzzling the storm. So it's kind of like when you put your hand over a dog's mouth to stop it from barking, you're kind of muzzling the dog. In the same way, Jesus is muzzling this storm. He's stopping it. He's telling it to be quiet. And, and maybe the most remarkable thing about this whole episode is that it's, it's not like when you're watching the Discovery Channel and, and like they show these great storms or something and, and they just kind of recede over 24 hours or 48 hours or 72 hours. Like the storm just kind of dies down over the course of a few days. That's not what's happening here. Okay, Jesus says peace, and all of a sudden, just like that, storm's over. It's totally quiet. Like the wind has stopped blowing, the rain has stopped falling, the waves have stopped pounding. There's no more up and down in the boat. Jesus says peace, and it's done. And then Jesus says this, verse 40. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? See, this is where Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. In the face of death, will the disciples be filled with fear or will they be filled with faith? And in the middle of your storm, when you're kind of like right in the eye of that storm, will you be filled with fear or will you be filled with faith? See, the challenge for the disciples is that up to this point in their, their time and their ministry and their life with Jesus, they hadn't really seen anything like this, like from, for, for all the time that they had spent with Jesus and, and watching him heal the sick and watching him deliver the demon possessed and watching him teach the crowds and, and tell people that they're forgiven of their sins, like for all that the disciples have seen, there was simply no category for them for what they had just seen in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And sometimes the same thing can be true for us, can it? Like, like sometimes we see God do all these great things for other people. We see God answer these amazing prayers for other people in their lives and the ways that God protects and provides and heals and helps. But then when it comes to the storms that we go through and the stuff that we experience in our life, isn't there sometimes just that tinge of doubt in our heart that says, man, I don't know if God can do that for me. Like I'm going through this storm and, and I'm not really sure that God can do for me what he has done for them. And listen, this is the question right here. As you endure the storm, will you be filled with fear or will you be filled with faith? Take a look at verse 41. And they were filled with great fear. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? They were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? That phrase, great fear, can be translated, they feared with a great fear. They feared with a great fear. In other words, they were like totally blasted by fear. Now, uh, sometimes in Christian circles, we use that word fear to describe our relationship with God, right? And rightly so. It's, it's an awe for God. It's a reverence for God. It's a holy fear of who God is and what God has done. And, and so when we read this here in Mark chapter 4, um, this is not just like a bow down, worship, be quiet kind of fear. Okay, they did that. And that's appropriate, and, and we're going to get to that. But you got to understand that what's happening here in Mark 4, this is a full-on, freaked-right-out kind of fear. You know what I'm saying? It's like, did you just see what happened? It's like that kind of fear, right? It's like, 
Did we all just see the same thing? Did we all just experience the same thing? It's that kind of fear. And, And in some sense, friends, this is the response of sinful people who truly encounter the living Christ in all of his glory. See, that's the problem with so many books and so much teaching these days that claims that people have died and they've gone to heaven and they've hung out with God and they've spent time with Jesus and then for whatever reason, they're sent back down to earth and they come back down here and write a best selling book about it and then their life hasn't really changed all that dramatically because of their encounter with the living God. Listen, all of that is completely antithetical to the Bible. You're not going to find that in the Bible. Okay, that's nothing of what we read in God's word. Think about this. Abraham encountered God and he was massively humbled by who he was and who God is. Isaiah encountered the living God in his glory and was immediately brought to a place of his own unworthiness. The apostle John encountered the resurrected Jesus Christ in all of his glory and fell at his feet as though he were dead. And now we get to this passage in Mark 4. And don't you find it interesting that the disciples' greatest fear came when the threat of the storm had been removed? Don't you find that interesting? Their greatest fear was no longer of the storm. Their greatest fear was of the one who had calmed it. Why is that? Well, if you look at this passage, there's one word that appears three times. It's the word great. You might want to circle that in this passage. Verse 37, a great windstorm arose. The end of verse 39, there was a great calm. And then verse 41, they were filled with great fear. That word great is where we get our English word mega. It means a colossal, gigantic, humongous, enormous, really, 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 really big, right? You can fill in your adjective with whatever you want. But, but so this passage, notice here, this passage goes from this mega storm to this mega calm. So mega storm, verse 37, to mega calm, verse 39, now to mega fear in verse 41. I mean, they're the most afraid when the storm is over. Like the storm has been calmed. Everything is back to the way it's supposed to be. Everything is fine. Shouldn't they be staying at mega calm right now? Like why are they going back? Why are they reverting back to mega fear? Well, I think part of the reason they're going back to mega fear is because they're in the process of reaching a new understanding of who Jesus truly is. See, that's why they're asking this question at the end of the passage, who then is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. See, friends, that's not just the question of the hour for the disciples. That is the question of your life today. Who then is this? Jesus Christ. That even the wind and the sea obey him. Who is Jesus Christ to you? Consider for a moment um, who the Bible says that Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. All things were created through him and for him. Jesus Christ is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. 
In him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Who then is this Jesus Christ? He is the one who was made to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He is our advocate with the Father. He has taken the full wrath of God against our sins on the cross so that the wrath of God against us would become the favor of God for us. Who then is this Jesus Christ? He is the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through him. He is the resurrection and the life. Jesus Christ is highly exalted by God with the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Who then is this Jesus Christ? He is the one who has defeated sin and death and Satan forever. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Jesus is the one who will come riding on the cloud and every eye will see him and he will reign forevermore and he will be the unhindered focus of our worship for all of eternity. Who then is this Jesus? He is the one who will wipe away every tear from our eyes because death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. Listen, no more storms because he is the one who is making all things new. This is Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. And we worship him. See, this is why this story is so much more than just a flannel graph miracle that we talk about in Sunday school. This this story not only highlights the power of Jesus to get us through the most difficult times of our lives, but listen, this story exposes our need to be rescued from a greater storm from which we cannot save ourselves. Apart from Jesus Christ, every single one of us stands caught in the storm, the ultimate storm of God's wrath and justice against our sins, and we have nothing to hang on to. Just like the disciples out on the boat, they're reaching, they're reaching, they're reaching. All they can grab onto is this tiny little fishing boat, and it's not much. And we come before God, and we have nothing to give to him. It's not like we can come before him and say, God, here it is. Here's this. Is this enough? Because it's never going to be enough in God's eyes. There's only one thing that's enough, and it's the sacrifice of his only son, Jesus Christ. Because we have sinned against the holy God. And the good news for you today is that Jesus has climbed into that boat for you. He has taken your place on the cross. He has paid the penalty for your sins. And he has gone through that storm of God's wrath so that you would not have to. So that if you will believe in him, he will go with you through every storm after that. Tim Keller summarizes it like this, and I'll close with this. He says, Jesus was thrown into the only storm that can actually sink us, the storm of eternal justice, of what we owe for our wrongdoing. That storm was not calmed, not until it swept him away. If the sight of Jesus bowing his head into that ultimate storm is burned into the core of your being, you will never say, God, don't you care? And if you know that he did not abandon you in that ultimate storm, what makes you think he would abandon you in much smaller storms you're experiencing right now? And someday, of course, he will return and still all storms for eternity. And if you let that penetrate to the very center of your being, you will know that he loves you and you will know that he cares. We need these life jackets for the storm. Take Jesus at his word because he can be trusted. Get to Jesus sooner because he loves you and he cares for you. And fear him for who he is. Jesus is the one who has defeated your greatest storm. And because of that, friends, 
you have nothing to fear. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, we are so, so grateful to you for your love and your grace, for your mercy and your compassion upon us. Grateful that you sent your one and only son, our Savior, Jesus, the Son of God, to pay the ultimate price for our sins in our place so that by believing in him, we could become the righteousness of God. Lord, we stand here, I pray, um, your spirit just moving through this room right now, completely overwhelmed in some sense and realizing just how unworthy we are of that kind of love. And yet you have made us worthy because of Christ. So Lord, um, I pray I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room right now who are going through some kind of storm, Lord, that, that I don't know about, but you know, and that's what matters. And I pray that for every storm that is represented in this room, I ask, Lord Jesus, that um, you would make it abundantly clear to your people whom you have redeemed, whom you call your own, that even right now you walk with them through that storm. You have climbed into that boat and you are there. You will not leave them. You will not forsake them. You will be with them to the very end. Not just the end of the storm, but you'll be with them to the end of every storm and into eternity. So we sing our praise to you again right now. We worship you, Lord Jesus. We declare that you are the Son of God who alone is worthy of all of our praise. May you be glorified in it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, would you stand with us as we respond to that precious